be seated. We're continuing our study of the Bible on the dynamics of the Christian life, and we're using the drama of the Pilgrim's Progress as a guide to help us navigate all that the Bible says about the Christian life. And Christian, the, the protagonist, the main character in Bunyan's uh, great Christian classic, has left the city of destruction, taking the advice of evangelists, on his way to the wicked gate where he might find relief from that burden of sin that he had come under conviction with. And then he falls into the slew of despond, coming under greater conviction of sin, is helped out, deviates from the good way to the forsaken way there at the foot of Mount Sinai, trying to work that burden of sin off by obeying the law. And he found that human effort is incapable of removing that burden. He's restored to the good way comes to the wicket gate, and there he finally knocks and knocks, and it's open to him, and goodwill not only invites him to come in, but pulls him in because of the danger that was present just outside the gate. Beelzebub was right there shooting arrows. Safely inside the gate, Christian now understands that the way set before him is hard, it's straight, it's narrow, there are many offshoots to that road that lead to much trouble, but he will be guided all the way. And because of that need for guidance, Goodwill tells Christian, just up the road a piece, you'll find a house, and it's the house of interpreter, and he will show you excellent things that will be profitable for, for you. I would say, essential for you on the journey to the cross and beyond. And so we'll look at these excellent things that Christian finds there in the house, looking at the first two this morning. But before we even get to the first two rooms of this house, we will look at the house and the interpreter. And then we'll look at the first two rooms on this little home tour that Christian has taken on by the man interpreter. And then, uh, not next week, next week is our missions conference, but the week after when we come back, we'll, we'll pick up with the other excellent things, the other five excellent things that Christian is shown. Now, just so we are clear, these excellent things are not only things individuals need as they are coming to the cross for the first time, i.e., on the way of salvation as Christian is. By the way, he's in the gate. He still has his burden on his back. His burden's on his back all the way through this house. It's only after leaving the interpreter's house that he comes to the way of deliverance where finally that burden is dealt with. So these excellent things are not only for you today. If you are seeking Christ for the first time to, to relieve you of that burden of sin, but it's for every Christian who is on the journey beyond the cross as well. You see, this applies to all of us here today. And so let's uh, set off on this journey, within a journey, as we look at the house, the interpreter, 
And then the first two excellent things that interpreter is shown, the, or that, that he shows Christian, the lessons that he learns. So as we begin today, we want to do so as we should do and regularly do, as that is to commit our time together in prayer. Gracious Father, truly these are excellent things, the excellent truths of your word. And we would pray today as we consider these, the work of the Holy Spirit in illumination and these first two profitable truths that arm us for the journey that we would find great comfort and boldness as we seek to live the Christian life. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we want to begin with Interpreter's House and ask the question, what does the house represent? If you've been reading along in Pilgrim's Progress, you'll, you should have read this uh, section in the work. And so Christian is there knocking on the door. Now, I knocked on the pulpit last week. I'm not doing that again today. That kind of hurt my, my knuckles. But Christian is there knocking repeatedly on the door of this particular house. He was told to come to the house of the interpreter. He is there. He is knocking. The door opens. The gentleman who answered summons the master. The master of the house comes and asks Christian what he wanted. And Christian answered, I was told by the man that stands at the gate at the head of this way that if I called here, you would show me excellent things such as would be a help to me in my journey. And so the interpreter welcomed Christian in and said that he would show him that which will be profitable to you. And then interpreter does something interesting. He instructs his man, his assistant, to go and light the candle. And then interpreter takes that candle and begins the tour with Christian following behind. I want to stop here and simply say this, that the house represents God's word. And it's interesting that Bunyan depicts Christian as knocking, 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 and finally someone opens the door. And what that communicates or should communicate to you and me is that we, we need to be persistent in searching God's word, in, in seeking to know God's word better, as if we just keep knocking at the door. We have a passion to know these great uh, truths. An interpreter is the Holy Spirit who has that candle for the purpose of illuminating the Christian to understand God's word uh, better. In fact, R.C. Sproul says that the Holy Spirit's work of illumination enables one to hear, receive, and properly understand the message of the Bible. Illumination is not revelation. God has revealed all that he is going to reveal in the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments. But the Holy Spirit enables us to understand what God has already said 
in a way where we can not only know the truth, but apply it to our lives. And we see the Apostle Paul teaching about the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verses 9 through 13. This really is our major text for today, so I would encourage you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, really verses 9 through 14. I want to begin by reading verses 9 and 10. But, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Paul quotes in verse 9, Isaiah 64, 4, and what he's showing there is that the unregenerate person, the one who has not had that, that work of the Holy Spirit that gives that individual a new heart with the ability to seek God, that unregenerate person cannot understand. It is only those who love him, those who are loved by God. In fact, if you look at verse 14 at the end of our passage today, the, the Apostle Paul speaks about the unregenerate person's inability to, they, they might be able to read the words on their Bible, but they can never understand them in a way that is profitable for the soul. And in verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And so God has prepared a way for those who love him, for those who are loved by God, for those who have a new nature to understand the things of God that have been revealed in his word. And that is all through the ministry of God the Holy Spirit. In verse 10, he enables us to know the depths of of God because he knows the depths of God. Just as you may know some things about me because I've told you, you may know some things about me because somebody else have told you some things about me, you cannot know what I'm thinking. In order for you to know what I'm thinking, I have to reveal that knowledge to you. And so Paul uses an analogy here, where he says in verse 11, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him, so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. And so the spirit of God, who knows the, the deep things of God, is able to reveal that to us through giving us the ability to understand that which God has revealed in his Bible. It is the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. Verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, 
but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And so Paul gives us here in 1 Corinthians and chapter 2, verses 9 through 14, a beautiful passage about the doctrine of illumination, the work of the Holy Spirit. And again, I will quote from, from Sproul, the Spirit helps us to understand the Bible, to convict us of the truth of the Bible, and to apply that truth to our lives. You see, Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress could not fully understand what was in this house unless the interpreter with his candle showed him these excellent things, illuminated the rooms of the house for him, illuminated biblical truth for him. And it's the same for you and me today. Think about that for just a moment. You take your, how many, how many of us, and I include myself, how many of us take our Bibles and we sit down and just read, 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 without giving any thought to asking God the Holy Spirit to illuminate the very Word of God to us. I mean, how many of us, let's, let's just be real, very few of us on a regular basis really do that. I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. And yet one lesson we learned, even before we get to the lessons, the seven lessons, is the absolute necessity of believers knocking on the door of Scripture and asking the one who answers the Holy Spirit to light that candle and illuminate those rooms that we might understand the deep spiritual things of God in every word of Scripture we read. Do we knock and knock and knock at the door of Scripture in total dependence upon God the Holy Spirit to illuminate the very Word of God that has been revealed, the eternal truths of God that are written down for us in the Bible, that they might be profitable to us as we journey down the road of the Christian life. Now let's look at the first excellent thing that we find here in this house, the first excellent thing of biblical truth. Here, interpreter has his candle, he's walking through the house, and Christian is following right behind, and they come to the first room. It is, it is excellent thing one, number one, an authorized guide is the truth here. And so, I want to tell you that in the fall of 2016, I realized I needed some help. And I contacted a pastor of mine I've known for many, many years. And I really trust Stephen. He's a godly man, lots of pastoral experience. And in this session was involved with this because I felt like I just needed some guidance that I might 
be a better pastor in my latter years. And so Steve and I spent a year together, and he mentored me. He, he coached me. And it was really helpful to me to have someone that, that I viewed as a guide, as a spiritual leader that I could go to, and I still can go uh, to him. And with everything that we talked about and everything that we did, the one thing that was first and foremost that was at the top of the list, how Stephen helped me as a guide is this. He always pointed me to Jesus. As a pastor for many years, I've had the privilege, and I would say the blessing, of coming alongside of people in difficulty and serving as a guide, a, a guide that could help them see how their present situation is actually addressed in Scripture and how that Scripture might be a real encouragement to them in the midst of much discouragement in the Christian life. And my heart, my desire as a spiritual guide is to always point people to Jesus. Let me ask you this. When you're looking for a pastor, when you're looking for an elder, when you're looking for a spiritual guide, what do you look for? What's the qualification for someone being your spiritual guide or my spiritual guide? It may be many things, but the chief thing is that they point you to Jesus. The Jesus that is in the Bible. The first excellent thing interpreter shows Christian is the type of spiritual guy he must seek. So he takes him to a private room. There's a portrait of a man. And, and I love the way <laughs> Bunning describes this, 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 this man. He has a, kind of a grave countenance. And this man represents a true and faithful minister of the gospel. A true and faithful shepherd of God's people. And the grave countenance is to show the seriousness this man takes his calling as a minister of the gospel. I think we have a lot of people today who are running around calling themselves pastors that are not serious. A lot of people who claim to be spiritual guides that are not serious. And the, serious, and the guide that you need to seek out is one who is serious about God's calling upon his life to shepherd his people. And really the lesson here is for Christian and the lesson for us is to be discerning about really who we listen to as a spiritual guide. <laughs> who are some of the guides that Christian has listened to thus far? Well, <laughs> he listened to pliable and he listened to obstinate and he listened to Mr. Worldly Wise Man, and those three guys were disasters as guides, right? They just led him to trouble. Today, there are many, many people offering to be your guide and my guide. 
and they really aren't serious about preaching Christ, they really aren't serious about feeding the sheep, There's, what they are serious about is feeding off of the sheep. There are many who would offer themselves as your guide that are really seeking their own glory, not the glory of Christ. They are twisting God's Word, not proclaiming God's Word rightly. Oh yeah, they may uh, speak to people, but what they speak is what they think people want to hear. And yet the portrait that we find in that first room is a man who is devoted to Jesus Christ, who is committed to God's Word, who is diligent to speak truth, not only to himself, but also to his uh, people. This man values Jesus and his kingdom more than the world. He longs to see people embrace Christ with saving faith. He counts his present-day sufferings as being rubbish compared to the reward of glory that awaits in heaven. And, and, and what interpreter says and what interpreter teaches here is to Christian is that this is the only type of man you should follow. This man in this portrait with this grave countenance, he is an authorized guide that will be of inestimable value to you on the difficult way to the cross and beyond. Christian already had a godly guide. The man evangelist, the first man he met. An evangelist and the grave countenanced man in this portrait in real life was Bunyan's pastor, Reverend John Gifford, who was the pastor of the Puritan church in, in Bedford. He was a guide worth having, a true minister of the gospel. And a true minister of the gospel must live up to what I believe is, is at least part of the standard that the Apostle Paul sets before us in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28. This is how Paul describes his own grave countenance, seriousness with regards to his calling as a gospel minister. Paul says this, in verse 28 of Colossians 1, Him, Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. As your pastor, my, my job, my privilege, my calling, though I'm imperfect in it, is to present everyone perfect in Christ, to proclaim Him. And this is true with every pastor. The chief goal is to direct people to Jesus. And we see it in this passage in Colossians. And it's interesting that the first lesson that is giving, given here, the first excellent thing has to do with who do you listen to as your spiritual guide? And think with me for just a moment. If I'm up here preaching to you every Sunday, error. And in the counseling session, if I am counseling you unbiblically, if our elders and deacons, especially our elders, are counseling you unbiblically, and if they are not representing Scripture, immediately you're going to be off on your journey. It's incredibly important 
discern your spiritual leaders wisely because there is so much at stake with what they say and what they teach and how they go about doing their ministry. Does that make sense? Do you see the importance of discerning who to follow? And who to follow is like that man in the portrait. Excellent thing number two, a clean heart. Well, the second room that Christian is taken to is a parlor. And he's taken to this parlor and it's terribly dusty. It's, it's unswept. And then there is a man who comes in with a broom and begins to sweep. And all he could do is just move, move the dust around. Kind of sound, maybe it sounds like how we, <laughs> the, the dusting in our homes. All we're doing is moving the dust around. I thought I heard something, but maybe, maybe I didn't there. And, and of course, this, this dust represents the, the corruption that is in the human heart by nature. It represents original sin, actual sin. And so, and the sweeper that comes in, in the Pilgrim's Progress, is, represents the law of God. Now, the law of God is given by God, it is holy, it is righteous, it is good, it reflects the perfect character of God. No one is going to get into heaven without being justified before the law. All of those things is true, but the law was never meant to cleanse the human heart. The law was never meant to save, and no matter how hard we obey, it is not going to change our heart. In fact, Paul says in Romans 7, in verse 7, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to, to covet. If the law had not said, you shall not covet. You see, the sweeper, the law, cannot remove the dust only move it around, and it's through the law that we realize we have a dusty heart. But the interpreter in, in the story directs a damsel to take water and to sprinkle that water about that dusty room and to wipe up the dust, which she does. An interpreter speaks of the sweet grace of the gospel cleanses the heart from sin. He says, so sin is vanquished and subdued and the soul made clean, fit for the king of glory to inhabit it. And I would say that this same principle is true with those who are beyond the cross as a redeemed person continuing the journey of the Christian life. It's very easy for us to think that if I read my Bible more, if I pray harder, if I give more to missions, if I 
do this and if I do that, then I'm going to be a better Christian, that, that maybe that will help me deal with that, that old, nasty, persistent sin that just seems to keep coming back. If, if I can just pull my bootstraps up a little bit, maybe, maybe I can conquer that sin. Maybe I, maybe I can do enough to change my insides. You see, I think it's very... I, I don't know if you would agree. I find I struggle with that even after all of these years living as a Christian. That it is so easy for me to fall back into that mindset of I can get in there and sweep the dust around. And here's the point I want to make, that we never ever stop needing the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ to deal with either the full room dusty, like one coming to the cross, or the dust that continues to be there in parts of our heart as we're beyond the cross going in celestial city. And dear friends, let me just say this, if you don't get this, then you will you will really struggle in the Christian life with grace. We tend to think that a lot of what the Bible speaks about are those that are coming to Christ. The same truth that is spoken about those coming to Christ is applicable to, to those who have come to Christ and who are living the Christian life. We need Jesus more every day. And I just, I, I love this room in the house of interpreter because it is something that speaks so loudly to me it's something that points out a struggle that I continue to have thinking I can somehow do something enough to get rid of that pollution that's still in my heart but it also speaks to the fact that man when that water is sprinkled it is clean <laughs> there is much 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 hope here that don't you love that term, the sweet grace of the gospel? Hey, is God's grace sweet to you? This is what Jesus says, or what, um, sorry, Paul says in Titus 3, 5 through 7 about the Holy Spirit. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And then in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, very familiar passage, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. An interpreter says to Christian that this, this, this dusty room and now this room that's been clean, cleaned by the sprinkling of the water, this is to show thee that when the gospel comes in the sweet and precious influence thereof to the heart, so sin is vanquished and subdued and the soul made clean, fit for the king of glory to inhabit. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And dear friends, we need to get that more and more in our heads and in our hearts. 
Today you may be here on your way to the cross. And, you know, you've, <clears throat> you've been trying and trying and trying to get rid of that, that burden of sin uh, to no avail. Your goal is to try to earn your way to heaven. You just can't do it. Today you may be here like me on the journey to heaven beyond the cross. And yet, thinking, maybe there's something I can do to alleviate that continual burden of sin. And the lesson for today is this. Through the work of the interpreter, showing the lesson of this second room, the parlor. And I will tell you, as an authorized guide a minister of the gospel, that there is no way for the sin that is in your heart to be dealt with apart from the blood of Jesus Christ being sprinkled upon it. And when the blood of Jesus Christ is sprinkled upon the human heart that is full of sin, it is cleansed. Nothing but the blood of Jesus can make me whole again. And if, you're, if, you, if you have yet to come to the cross and since you're on your way there, nothing but the blood of Jesus can cleanse your heart from sin. If you've been to the cross and you're, you're journeying to the celestial city as a believer, nothing but the blood of Christ can cleanse your heart from sin. That is the gospel hope that we have. And that cleansing work is available. I will sprinkle clean water on you, says Ezekiel, and you shall be clean. For all your uncleanness, from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Romans 5. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but when sin increased, grace abounded more. The interpreter closes this section by saying these excellent things are profitable for you as you journey to the celestial city. Carefully discern the guides you follow and rest upon the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse your heart from sin. Well, we can't end this service without singing a hymn, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. Hymn number 307. I'll pray, then we'll stand and sing. Father, I, I ask that you would impress us once again about our need for Jesus. Thine work and thine alone cleanses our hearts from sin. Impress this upon us, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.